सहनावतो सहनो भुनक्त सह वीकवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुम विदिषावै ओ शांतिशाशा Let us see the first three verses. Shri Bhagavan Vacha Imam Vivasvate Yogam Proktavanaham Avyayam Vivasvan Manave Praha मनुरीक्ष्वाक्रवीदरा इमं राजर्षयो विदु सकानेहता योगो नष्ट पर सोगतन भक्त मे सखा चेतीहस्यम भक्त मे सखा चेती you are my devotee and you are my friend and that's the reason why this great secret has been revealed to you <clears throat> it is said traditionally and we also pointed out that the knowledge should not be imparted to just anybody and everybody any form of knowledge and particularly spiritual knowledge should be given only to the one who is qualified there is a verse which says विद्यावै ब्राह्मणम आजगाम इट सीम्स एट विद्या और नॉलेज केम टू ए ब्राह्मण एंड थोल्ड इम गोपायम हे ब्राह्मण ओ लर्निड पर्सन प्लीज प्रोटेक्ट मी विद्या द नॉलेज सीज टू लर्निड पर्सन प्लीज प्रोटेक्ट मी शिव दिष्टे हमस्मी रिमेम्बर अंडरस्टैंड आई एम योर ट्रेजर नेवर यू प्रोटेक्ट मी एज यू प्रोटेक्ट अ ट्रेजर How do you protect? Aprataenama bruyaha asuyaya anujave. Hey, do not, do not pass on, pass me on to, or do not communicate me to the one who is jealous or who is finding fault with the teacher. There are some people whose nature it is to find fault with the scriptures and teacher. You know, this is just the nature. where in fact there are virtues this person always sees there the blemishes where in fact there are virtues for example the person may be a very righteous person religious person and somebody may say he is just pretending swami is nothing you know so this is how some people have this kind of a way of looking at things and so 
do not, Vidya, the knowledge says to this Brahmana, the learned person, that do not give me to the one who does not have trust, who who looks upon me, who looks upon the scriptures and teachers and everything, is doubt. Do not give me that, give, give to this person like that. Anujave, also do not give me to a person who is not ready to truth, who is not straightforward, who is not honest. Aprayataya, one who has no self-control. So, save this knowledge from people who do not have self-control, people who are not pure, or people who are not wedded to truth or honesty, and people who do not have shraddha or the faith. So give this knowledge to the one who has shraddha, the trust, one who is straightforward, and one who has self-control and enjoy has the purity of the mind. Hey, O Brahmana, O learned one, always communicate me to, do not communicate with these people. So idea is protection is not that you do not impart this knowledge to anybody. That's not the way to protect it. In fact, knowledge can be protected only by passing it on to people. That's how knowledge should be protected. At the same time, if the knowledge is given to somebody who is undeserving, it is quite possible that it can be misused. Either that person may misunderstand, and therefore that misunderstanding can create harm to that very person. Or, he may misuse this knowledge also for different purposes. This possibility is always there. Therefore, it is traditional to only impart this knowledge to the people who are thought to be eligible or qualified. Sometimes it is interpreted that, look, these Brahmanas never passed on knowledge to anybody. They always, they always kept it with them. And that's how they always held the knowledge with them, deprived the rest of society. This kind of accusations also are made, but this is tradition, that knowledge should be passed on to the one who is deserving, who is qualified. <coughs> also another important thing is this parampara. In the Vedic culture, this parampara, or this, this line, succession of the teacher and student, this succession also is very important. They say that, the knowledge should come from the person who is a part of that succession. And because there is a, when it is passed on from the teachers to the disciples in that succession, not only what is original is of course passed on, but that every teacher also adds something to this tradition. So every teacher has gained something, the knowledge from his teacher. And when he communicates it to his disciples or his students, not only he communicates what the teacher has imparted to him, but he also adds something of his own. Not that he adds some new knowledge, but he can also add to the method of communication, the mode of communication. That's why you find that different teachers give different illustrations, different models, different examples, so different, the same thing is communicated in, in, in various ways, depending upon the need of those particular students. For example, Upanishads are many. The Upanishads basically convey only one truth, and therefore the subject matter of Upanishads is not many. It's basically one. And still, the texts are many. Because every teacher imparts that same knowledge to a given disciple. 
and a given disciple or an aspirant has his or her own disposition of mind, his own background, his own questions, his, you know. So, keeping that in mind, the teacher addresses the student. That's why every Upanishad, even though communicating basically the same truth, has its own, has its own methodology, has its own approach, and therefore has its own contribution. That is how this whole tradition gets enriched, because every teacher contributes something to that. And therefore, we then have the benefit of the contribution of number of teachers, number of teachers, because the tradition is coming down to us for a number of centuries, in fact, for many millennia. And that's how this Vedic tradition has its great advantage that not only it is the most ancient tradition, but that the tradition is that the same knowledge is passed on from the teacher to the students, and thus there is a whole continuous succession of the teacher and students. And that's how the tradition has become very rich also. It is said, in fact, that you must only receive the knowledge from the person who is a part of the tradition and not from anybody else. Our Swami would say, Sampradayavit, one who has the knowledge of the Sampradaya or the whole tradition. So, one who is a part of the tradition. So, these are some, that's why Lord Krishna said that this is traditional knowledge. It is coming down to us from the tradition. And it is the same knowledge that I have imparted to you today because I look upon you as an eligible student. Not only that Arjuna expressed his desire to know, and at the same time he also possessed the requisite qualification in terms of the self-control, control of the sense organs, control of the mind, a purity of the heart. So the basic qualifications required, Arjuna had them, and that's why Lord Krishna says, that knowledge today I have imparted to you. <coughs> As we said, if Arjuna had not asked a question, which is expressed in the fourth verse, then Bhagavad Gita Paras would have concluded here. But Arjuna chose to ask the question. You know, because, you know, what Lord Krishna said, that I imparted this knowledge at the beginning of cycle of creation, meaning thousands of years ago, to the firstborn, to Vivaswan, to Aditya, to Surya, the son. Now, Arjuna himself doesn't have a problem with this. He understands what this means, or what this, what this implies. But Arjuna feels that when other people, people who are not initiated, people who do not have the understanding of this tradition, understanding of the principle of, you know, avatar or incarnation, they may see a contradiction in the statement of Lord Krishna. And therefore, inasmuch as ignorant people may not have, may not feel that what Lord Krishna is saying is contradictory, because if what Lord Krishna says is contradictory, then his words cannot be trusted. If you say something here and something else in another place, or if I say something else incongruous, then you cannot trust what is communicated to me. So Arjuna feels that listening to these words of Lord Krishna, a common man may have a doubt that Lord Krishna is saying something contradictory. And so, to resolve that contradiction, because 
if a contradiction is seen, then a person cannot have the shraddha or the trust. If that is so, then you will not be blessed by this knowledge. Even if you listen to this, but if you listen without shraddha, then you will not be able to have, you know, be able to receive the knowledge it should be. And therefore, Arjuna asks a question to remove <coughs> a possible doubt that may arise in the mind of an ordinary person who may see some contradiction in the statement of Lord Krishna. And so Arjuna, so the, uh, here Arjuna is more reiterating somebody else's question. As Shankarajaraji says, this is not really Arjuna's doubt or question. Arjuna doesn't have this question in mind. But Arjuna feels that other people may have this question and therefore he is asking the question that somebody else would have asked. So Arjuna says, Arjuna uvacha Aparam bhavato janma Param janma vivasvataha Kathametad vijaniyam Tvamadav prokta bhanite Arjuna says, Aparam bhavato janma. The word Aparam has two meanings. Aparam means remote. I mean, Aparam means recent. And Aparam also means inferior. Param, Param means remote as well as superior. Aparam means recent as well as inferior. So Lord Krishna says, Arjuna says, Aparam bhavato janma. O Lord, O Krishna, your janma, your birth is very recent. And also inferior in as much as you are a human being. Param janma vivasvataha. Whereas vivasvan, whom you say that, you imparted the knowledge. Lord Krishna says, I imparted this knowledge to vivasvan to Surya, to Sun, in the beginning of the creation. How does it work? Because you are only recently born. Maybe Lord Krishna was 50-60 years old, whatever. <coughs> Whereas Vivaswaman was born in the beginning of creation thousands, you know, thousands of years ago. <coughs> Further, you are a human being. Whereas Vivaswaman was God. So Devata. Vivaswan is Brahma, Surya, he is a Devata, meaning that he is a superior being, much more sophisticated and therefore much more in terms of knowledge and capacities. <coughs> so we say that there are different embodiments, different yoni upadis or species and embodiments which are superior to human beings. There are also many embodiments which are inferior to human beings. There are millions and millions of species in this creation. You may say that human being sort of falls in the middle. And there are superior beings who are more advanced. That is the result of the punya karma. The idea is that as a human being, if you live a life of virtue, of punya, of merit, 
you accumulate lot of punya, lot of merit, then that will qualify you to gain birth in heavens or gain birth in, in a higher realm where they possess the upadhi or embodiment which is superior to the human embodiment. Superior in sense of their capacities. There were less obstructions from the nature. They have special powers and they have special knowledge. In that sense, this adhupadi is superior. Then what to talk of Vivaswan? Vivaswan means a firstborn. He is Brahma. He is the creator. He is a supreme devata. As a devata or god also, he is the highest. And you are a human being. Or rather a lowly creature. So how can it be? That you, who is only recently born, imparted knowledge to Vivaswan, who was born thousands of years ago. How does it work? And you, who are a human being like me, with naturally limited capacities of intellect, all limitations, you imparted knowledge to Vivaswan, much more learned, having much higher capacities. Thus, this is a, anybody can see this contradiction. Arjuna does not see that because Arjuna knows Lord Krishna. He knows Krishna is Lord and never. This is not his question. But he does, he asks this question, that this because somebody may have this question. In which case, Bhagavad Gita, the teaching, may lose its authenticity if this question is not satisfactorily resolved. Kathametad vijaniyam Tamadopraktavanati. Oh Lord Krishna, please tell me. Kathametad Vijayaniya. How should I understand this? Tum Adopraktavanati. That it is you, indeed, who imparted this knowledge. In the beginning of creation, you did it. How do I understand that? Arjuna does not say, how could you have done it? He doesn't say that. Arjuna says, please explain to me. How do I understand that you did it? I'm not doubting that you imparted this knowledge in the beginning of creation. I don't, I'm not doubting. But I want to understand how could you have done it? Are you saying that you did it in the same body as you are having right now? But that cannot be because this body was born only recently where Vivaswan was there so many years ago. Therefore, in this embodiment you could not have imparted the knowledge. No, no, Arjuna, I, I was in another embodiment. If you are in another embodiment, then how do you remember that? Because apparently you look like me. I'm a human being, you also are a human being. And human beings have many limitations. One of the limitations is that we do not remember anything of the past. <clears throat> the past birth we don't remember. Even if you remember one, but there are countless past births, we don't remember them. So you, you also look like a human being only. I would think that you also cannot remember the past. Even if you were, even if you imparted this knowledge in some other embodiment, but you cannot remember them just as I also cannot remember my past. Therefore, Lord Krishna appearing as a human being is a problem. The problem is that raises this question. <coughs> when Lord Krishna says, I imparted a knowledge, he is talking as he is God. But can, a God, can God look like a human being? 
So therefore, this is a question here. Kathamita Dvijaniyat. O Lord, how can I, how do I understand your statement? Meaning that there is apparent contradiction in the statement, but I know that there, should, there is no contradiction. So how should I understand your statement without contradiction? This is Arjuna's question. So people may take Lord Krishna as a human being. And therefore, they may take him as a jiva. Jiva means a limited being. Subject to the laws of action. Subject to laws of nature. Subject to laws as every limited being is. And that's what they may take Lord Krishna to be. And also human being is limited in terms of his knowledge. Therefore, they may take Lord Krishna also, like another human being, limited in knowledge. Not all-knowing. Therefore, two doubts are contained in this question. One doubt is that, O Lord, you look like, you are a human being like me, and just as I am limited in my knowledge, so also you must be limited in knowledge. You cannot be sarvagnya, you cannot be omniscient. For you to be God, you must be omniscient, but then a human being cannot be omniscient. And secondly, you, you are a human being and ever, limited by the various laws of nature, limited by the laws of karma. And if you are limited, you cannot be Ishvara because Ishvara means ruler and ruler cannot be ruled by anything. A human being is always ruled, ruled by various laws. You know, we may have some little freedom, but it's a very restricted freedom. I have to uh, respect all the laws of nature. I must respect the law of gravity. And therefore, come down through stairs and not jump from the window. Because I know that this body is subject to law of gravity and if I jump, if I disrespect that law, I'll break my limbs. I know that fire burns, then I stay away from fire. Or I, I use whatever is necessary to avoid contact with fire, because I know fire burns. I know that if electricity, I touch a live wire, it will give me a shock and therefore I avoid all of this. So, so many things you have to do, so many things you have to avoid. Because we are limited. We are subject to being controlled by the various laws of nature. In most important is what we call law of karma. The law of cause and effect. And the law is very simple. As you sow, so you reap. As a human being, I have a sense of doership. And therefore, I perform various actions. And whoever performs actions is accountable for the result of the actions. Therefore, this birth that I have is the result of the past actions performed by me. Why do I have a given kind of a body? And why others have the kind of body that they have? Because each one has his or her own history. That in the past birth, we perform whatever actions we did. As a result, our present is there. So we have this embodiment and we have all kinds of things. I am born in a certain parent, family, a certain parents, certain place, certain time, certain environment. I had to go, I had to confront, to face various situations in my life. All this is unique to me because I have a unique history and therefore the uniqueness of my life is due to the various karma, the actions that I performed in the past. And the present is the 
product of the past, result of the past. So thus, we accept what we call continuity of life. Even though there is, people ask this question, Swamiji, can you prove that there was past birth? There is no proof. Proof means that I must actually demonstrate to you what you were, you know, in the past and what all you did. Then also it's not a proof. So therefore past birth cannot be proven. And whether I'll be born again also cannot be proven. But it's reasonable to accept that by accepting what we call continuity of life. Then alone there is fairness. Then alone there is justice. If I had no past birth and if I will have no future birth also, then how do we explain what I am in the present? How come I am what I am and you are what you are? There is all this diversity and disparity. Some people are very fortunate, others are not that fortunate. Some people are poor, some people are helpless, some people are defenseless, some people are powerful, some people are... all kinds of differences are there. And therefore, I am what I am can only be explained if there was a past which actually created the present, which, which is what I am. Not only that, but if my life will come to an end, if my existence will come to an end by death, then whatever I do in this lifetime, if all the good things I did in a lifetime will get unrewarded, or all the evil things I did will get unpunished also, which also is not fair. And never, I must be around when the results of action that I am performing today, when they fructify, I must be around to experience the effect. The one who is a karta should also be bhokta. The doer also is accountable for experiencing the results of what he does. Thus, to explain the diversity in the creation, also that there should be fairness or justice. It may take some time for justice to happen. It will happen sometime. I may get away from the effects of what I am doing right now. It may look like. But I cannot get away forever. I can get away from these courts here. I can get away from police here. I can get away from the law enforcement authorities on this earth. I may be, I may be very smart and do that. But I cannot get away from the consequences of law of cause and effect in as much as I am accountable for the effects of what I am doing. I cannot get away from that. Because then alone there can be an order in the creation. When they say that there is an order, that order is possible only when there is fairness, only when there is justice. And that is possible only when everything is, everything follows the laws of cause and effect. So all of these, not only the scriptures tell us about the past birth, etc. and the future birth, but that continuity of life is in keeping with reason, in keeping with our experiences. And also we point out that there is no creation and no destruction in matter, just as there is continuity of matter which changes forms, so also there is continuity of life which changes embodiments and therefore one life changes from one embodiment to the other. Not only that, but understand, 
As we said, human being is born with a certain agenda. We are here not just to experience the results of action only. We are here to fulfill a purpose. Every human being is born with a purpose. What is the purpose? Purpose is to attain perfection. Purpose is to attain success. Is to attain freedom. To attain moksha. That is called the Paramapurusharta. That's the ultimate goal. And every human being is born with a desire, with an urge to become free, to gain moksha. Therefore they say that every human being is a mumukshu. Everybody is automatically a desirer of moksha. And what? If that agenda is not fulfilled in this life, what will happen? That agenda must be fulfilled and therefore the life is, in fact the birth is, so that I can fulfill that agenda. If not in this lifespan, next one. If not in that one, subsequent one. Because I have a desire and desire to be complete and that desire has to have a solution. As our Swamiji would point out that it is a scheme of things that wherever there are natural desires, there must be natural solutions. We have the need for appeasing our hunger, therefore there is solution available in nature that food is available. Food is available, not the kind of food that I may want, that may not be available, but food is available. You may say, Swami, that's not available, there are many people starving, okay. But then there is enough, as far as earth is concerned, enough is available for all living beings. Some people appropriate more than their share and deprive others, that's called abuse of free will. But otherwise, when thirst is created, there is water. Hunger is created, there is food. Teeth are created, there is something to chew. Our cultivated desires may not have an answer. My cultivator will have only brand name clothes that I may or may not, there may not be provision for that. But there is always provision for fulfilling the natural desires. This mumokshitva, the desire to become free, to desire, desire to gain moksha is a natural desire. I have not cultivated that, I find that I am having it. And therefore, there must be a solution for that also. What is the solution? Solution is knowledge. And that's why the scriptures are there, containing that knowledge, and that's why the tradition is there, that to gain the knowledge of my true nature, that knowledge is a means of gaining freedom, moksha. And therefore, until I gain that knowledge, until I gain moksha, the purpose of life cannot be complete. And therefore also, I have to continue that journey until the goal is reached. Because there is a goal, life is a journey, therefore the journey has to continue until the goal is reached. That's what Lord Krishna says in the sixth chapter. Aneka janma samsiddha tato yati paramgatim Gaining perfection over a number of births, one ultimately gains, gains the ultimate goal. So all of these various reasons are there in support of the continuity of life. There is no single reason that I know of which will disprove this also. 
No, Swamiji, how come you don't remember? Millions of things I don't remember. I don't remember what happened to me as a child also. That doesn't mean it did not happen to me. Memory is not the proof, you know, for existence of something. It's not that only if I remember the past, the past was there. There's no rule like that. In fact, if I suffer from brain injury, I'll remember nothing. People do not remember the name of their spouse. They don't recognize anything. That does, they don't remember. It doesn't mean it was not there. You cannot say that just because there's no memory that the past is not there. No, because you cannot demonstrate that. You can demonstrate that also, but not with the kind of tools that you have. You can demonstrate. In fact, there are the yogis have special powers and they in fact have the memory, of, they say, they have the memory of the past births also. We don't have that because we don't have those powers. Meaning that the kind of facility that we have our mind is not quite adequate to know what is in the past. That doesn't mean that the past can never be known also. Anyway, so thus this, the, uh, the law of karma, and as we said, how a human being is what we call a jiva or a limited being and therefore subject to the laws including the law of karma. So the question, Lord Krishna, you are also a human being. As human being, you also must be subjected to the restrictions of the laws including law of karma. Therefore, you must have also gained this embodiment as a result of some karma that you did in the past. Otherwise, how can anybody born? Birth is always due to karma. What gives us this embodiment and what takes us to a given situation is our past karma. Without karma, there cannot be birth. So, Lord Krishna also had birth. He was also born in prison. And therefore, he also must have performed karma. Who performs karma? One who has need. One who has sense of doership. One who is limited. Who is a jiva. That means Lord, you also are a jiva. You also must have your past birth. When you must have performed karma. As in the which you have gained this embodiment. So, how can jiva be Ishwara? You know Ishwara? Ishwara means one whose nature it is to rule. The one who rules everything and who is not ruled by anybody is called Ishwara. If God also is ruled by somebody, then there is a big problem. He also can be pressurized. He also can be compelled. Then there cannot be justice. If a judge, for example, in a court, he also has some pressure. I'm surprised, you know, when they choose justice is here, they're chosen because of political views. That he's a, he's a pro-democrat or he's a pro, uh, you know, republican. What does the justice have to do with republican and democrat? I don't know. Which means that the judgment that they pass will be influenced by their ideology of republican or democrat or whatever it is. How can that be justice? He should have no ideology of his own. He should have no preferences of his own. He should be free from ragad dveshas, all likes and dislikes. Then alone he can be fair, otherwise he cannot be fair. God also, in order for him to be fair to all the living beings, must be necessarily free from any likes and dislikes. There can be no partiality and no cruelty. 
Although there appears to be cruelty in this universe, still we cannot assign that cruelty definitely to the Creator or to the Sustainer. We cannot assign that cruelty to Ishwara. Why should He be cruel? Why should He be partial? Why should Ishwara be partial to somebody? You know when partiality will come? When there is some X to grind. I will be partial to somebody when I have some benefit to gain from that person. I will be cruel to somebody because I have some grudge against that person. So partiality and cruelty presuppose my attachment and aversion. So likes and dislikes. And who has likes and dislikes? What do the likes and dislikes represent? They represent my need. That I am a needy person. Whoever fulfills my need becomes an object of like. Whoever comes in the way obstructs my fulfillment of need becomes an object of dislike. So likes and dislikes represent need. Need represents, of course, neediness. That represents incompleteness, inadequacy. If Ishwara also has need, he is also incomplete, and he also looks upon this world to fulfill his needs, he can't be Ishwara. So Ishwara must necessarily be free from likes and dislikes, meaning that he must be free from need, meaning that he must be complete, he must be limitless. Ishwara cannot be limited, must be limitless. Then alone he can rule. Really, ideally, a ruler should be fair always. A ruler should necessarily be fair, I mean ideally, let us say, not necessarily, but ideally. A leader must be fair. He must be generous. He must have the well-being of all those whom he is leading. He must be the well-wisher of all those whom he is leading. Then alone he can be a real leader. Vishwara is a leader. He must necessarily be a well-wisher of everybody. In which case he should not have any need of his own. Therefore, being Ishwara on one hand, and being born on the other hand are contradictory things. That's the whole idea is to say this. Ishwaram is God. He is independent. Not controlled by laws. A jiva or individual is controlled by laws. Ishwara is the controller of the laws. And what kind of controller? Not a controller who uses laws to express his anger and stuff like that. No. You cannot expect God is angry or something. You know, if God is angry, Swami is like my uncle. What's the difference? If he also gets angry, my uncle also cannot tolerate, God also cannot tolerate. He gets angry. If you do this, God will get angry. He'll punish you. We cannot accept a God who is angry or punishing or whatever. He has to be always benevolent. He must necessarily be kind. He must necessarily be fair. He must necessarily be well-wisher. And all this is possible when he is complete, he is whole, he is limitless, and never free from any need. That is again possible only when he is all-knowing. He must be omniscient. To rule, he must be omniscient. He must be omnipotent. So God must be all-knowing. When all-knowing, you cannot commit mistake. Mistake can be committed only because of our limited knowledge. That's why we commit mistakes. We do wrong things. Because at that time I did not know it was wrong. Later on I find that what I did was not right. But when I did it, I thought it was right. Only because of the limitation of my knowledge. Therefore Ishwara is free from limitations of knowledge, limitations of power, 
from every kind of limitation. That alone can be Ishvara. Who is not ruled by any laws, who is the ruler of all the laws, and therefore he cannot be ruled by law of karma. Therefore he cannot have birth. <coughs> so this birth as a human being, and being God, understand this is all contradictory. That is the reason why Arjuna raises this question to resolve this apparent contradiction. Aparam bhavato janma, param janma vivasvataha. Oh Lord, your birth is very recent and also as a human being which is limited in every way. Param janma vivasvataha, vivasva on the other hand was born in the remote past. At the same time, he was born as a devata much higher in terms of his knowledge and powers. So how do I understand that you imparted this knowledge to Vivaswan? <coughs> this question gives Lord Krishna an opportunity to clarify or opportunity to reveal a principle called avatara or incarnation, which is a very important principle. So Vedanta accepts what you call avatara or incarnation and Lord Krishna doesn't right away say that but first of all wants to clarify that I am omniscient here you know I am all knowing don't think that I have I am limited in knowledge because Lord Krishna looks like a human being and therefore one would think that he is also limited in knowledge like other human beings. So first of all, Lord Krishna clarifies that. Says he is all-knowing. And how does he say that? This is in the verse, uh, fifth verse says, Shri Bhagavanu Vacha Bahu Nimevyatitani Janmanitavacharjuna Tanyaham Veda Sarvani Natvam Veda Parantapa Bahuni me Vyatitani Janmani. Here you know, I have passed through many births. It is not the only birth I have, I have passed through many births. Lord Krishna also take birth. But they are called Leela Vigraha. As we will understand, you will see, the body that is sported by Lord is what we call Leela Vigraha. He sports a body. He does not possess a body or he is not limited by a body, but he sports a body. And therefore Lord Krishna says that in the past I have taken many incarnations. Bahuni me vyatitani, janmani. Through many births have passed. Many incarnations have taken in the past. Tavach Arjuna. Arjuna understand that you also have passed through many, many births, countless births in the past. Arjuna is a jiva. And jiva is subject to law of karma. <coughs> and also, as Vedas explained to us, 
that the creation has no beginning, its creation is a cyclic process. Therefore, any given cycle of creation has a beginning, but there is no such thing as the first cycle of creation. Therefore, there is no answer to the question as to when did all this thing begin. When was the first jiva, Adam, first man? So our first man is Adam, who is your first man, you know? There is no first here. How can there be first? Adam has to also appear from somewhere. A sprout must have a seed. Without the seed, the sprout cannot be. Is it not so? And how can the seed be without the fruit? How can the fruit be without the tree? How can the tree be without a sprout? And therefore, which is first? They say with chicken or egg. But we would say, which is first? The sprout or the seed? And so, this is the Bijankura, in Sanskrit they call it Bijankura Nyaya. Bija means seed, Ankura means sprout. Which came first? There cannot be a sprout without the seed, there cannot be a seed without the sprout, and therefore there cannot be a beginning. In fact, human mind cannot visualize beginning. You try to visualize beginning of anything. Beginning of a part, a part was created, had a beginning. But when you visualize beginning of a part, what will you see? A lump of clay. Something has to be there because something cannot come out of nothing. Yes, you may not be, it may not be manifest. It is possible that like seed you do not see. You see the sprout, you do not see the seed. But from the presence of sprout, you can infer the existence of a seed, even though you don't see Sprout is called manifest, seed is unmanifest. So cause unmanifest, not visible to the senses, not perceptible, has to be there. And therefore, there is no such thing as the first creation, no such thing as first man, otherwise he would be in trouble, you know. This poor fellow are in trouble, Adam and Eve are in trouble. Because she ate the forbidden fruit and all this kind of sin and you know, because she is first. If she was not the first, and she was the you know, nth in the series, then, then, then all that sin must be passed on the first, and, and then there is not, nothing, you know, there is no beginning. Therefore, Vedanta, there is no sin as such of that kind. There is ignorance, of course, you can call that sin if you want to, but that is nobody's ignorance, nobody has created. But the point is that there is no beginning that we can think of, and therefore, this has been going on, this, this karma, the result, correction and result. This chain has been going on from the time beginningless. Therefore, everybody must have taken countless births. You know, you and I, all of us must have taken countless births. And not only as human beings only, we must have gone through all kinds of species because the, what the next birth is going to be is determined by the karma or the actions I perform Meaning the way I conduct myself, that determines what the destiny is. And therefore, through my own conduct, I as though create my own destiny. So it's possible. In the past human birth, I may have violated the, the dharma also. And I may have gone into lower embodiments also. It's quite possible. Each one of us has passed through all the 8.4 million species. It's 
at some times. Who will know that? Even if you know one birth, second birth, third birth, they say, you know, how many will you know? How many will remember? And who wants to remember? Tell me. Who wants to be bothered about the past birth? It looks very, very exciting, you know. Uh, how exciting would it be if I knew what was in the past? It may not be exciting. You may not want to be bothered about what you did, you know. You may not want to own up that stuff that you did. Who knows? And who knows what you were? Whether you're a dog or a cat, you don't even know what was in the past, but we don't know. You could be a god also, you could be a dog also, who knows? Therefore understand that it is a blessing that we do not remember the past. In the 15th chapter, Lord Krishna says, that is because of me that there is knowledge, because of me that there is memory, it is because of me that there is forgetfulness, that people forget that is also due to me. It's a great blessing that there is no memory of the past. Therefore, in a way, we start with a clean slate, sort of, not totally clean, we don't have memory, but we have the, all the impressions of the past, meaning that the past has formed our present disposition. So we don't begin with a clean slate really, but still, not bothered about past is always helpful. Because not being able to forget the past is such a big problem, you know, in this life also. How nice would it be if I could forget what I did not remember? Would it not be nice? Mind, okay, forget that. Mind forgets. Forget what he told you. Forget it. Forget what he did. They say, forgive and forget. Uh, you can't forget. I wish I could forget. So therefore, forgetting also is a, is a great gift. <coughs> anyway, Lord Krishna says that Arjuna, as a Jivatma, under the uh, control of this law of karma, you have gone through countless births. I should not say infinite, but countless births. Swamiji, but now I'm sure in satsang they will ask this question. You say that uh, uh, everybody, you know, is born due to law of karma. But then how come there is this explosion in the human population? How does that happen? Because human being is not the only kind of jiva here. As we said, we are in a small minority. There are countless living beings. Each living being could potentially be born as a human being, and a human being can be potentially born as any one of those things also. All we can say is that some, more, some mosquitoes are liberated from the old embodiment and are being born, or some tigers and lions looks like, you know. Depending, looking at the kind of population that we have, looks to me like, the many snakes and scorpions and tigers and lions have, have become human beings, you know, looking at so, whatever. But anyway, so, uh, but as I said, the total number of species is countless and therefore, uh, but Lord Krishna says, here Juna, you pass through countless births, and I know them all. Tani, Ahamveda, Sarvani, all of them I know. I know the countless births I pass through because even though in this particular cycle of creation, let us say, they talk of 24 incarnations only. They talk of main 10 incarnations, or with Lord Krishna is the ninth incarnation. Or if you consider some minor incarnation, they count some 24. But there are countless 
cycles of creation. In each of them, he must have taken incarnation. Therefore, incarnation also counts as understand. <clears throat> you know, sometimes there are uh, different accounts of the same story. If you, for example, read Valmiki Ramayana, that is the story of Lord Rama as told by Sage Valmiki, it's one description. The story of Rama is told by other sages also. Like Sage Tul- Saint Tulsidas has told the story. And you find differences. And Ramayana is told by many saints in the, you know, in different regions. So there may be a Ramayana in Bengali, a Ramayana in Telugu, Ramayana in Malaya, in, in, in Tamil and whatever. And each one of these texts, some different accounts will be there. So they ask this question, how can it be? You know what's the answer? Answer is that these accounts belong to different cycles of creation. You know, so somebody is describing Ram, incarnation of Rama in one cycle of creation. Somebody describes another cycle of creation. Therefore, minor variations can be there in this story, in the, the way Rama lived in different cycles of creation. In short, even incarnations are also countless. I have passed through countless births and so have you. Tani, Aham Veda Sarvani. I know all of them. Not only my birth, not only your, but everybody's birth. Not only, you know, there are countless living beings, each one of them has passed through countless births. Can you imagine? Countless living beings, each one of them has passed through countless births. It's all mind-boggling. Lord Krishna says, I know them all. Meaning, I know whatever there was in the past. In the seventh chapter also, Lord Krishna says, Vedaham samatitani vartamanani charjuna bhavishyani jabhutani maam to vedana kasyana Vedaham samatitani Here, Juna, I know everything that has gone by in the past. Vartamanani, I know everything which is in the present. Bhavishyani Bhutani, I know what all is going to come in future. Meaning that I know the past, present and future. I am all knowing. Which is what Lord Krishna also implies, he was saying that, I know all the births of, of the past of all the living beings, meaning that I am all knowing. Here Arjuna, do not think that I am like you, an ordinary human being with limited knowledge. But then, I know everything. But Lord Krishna, you look like me. If you know everything, then I should also know everything. You do not know. That's the difference. Otherwise, there's no difference between you and I. The consciousness that you are, is the consciousness that I am. You are Brahman, I am also Brahman. As far as the reality is concerned, there's no difference between you and I. But as far as the Upadhi, as far as the embodiment that you have, and as far as embodiment that I have, there is a vast difference. Arjuna is called Nara, Lord Krishna is Narayana. So Nara and Narayana both are one, as far as the fundamental nature is concerned. Whether it's a little drop of water, or it's a vast ocean, in fact both are the same, from the standpoint of, the essential nature, which is water. But as far as the size is concerned, there is a vast difference. 
That's called upadi. So from in name and form, there are differences. In essence, there are no differences. So Lord Krishna says that, even though in essence, you and I are not different, but as far as the name and form are concerned, there is a vast difference in as much as you do not know, you, you, your knowledge is extremely limited, whereas there are no limitations in my knowledge. So Lord Krishna says that even though appearing in a human body, says that nitya shuddha buddha mukta I'm ever free, I'm ever enlightened, I'm ever pure. And therefore, there is no restriction to my knowledge. On the other hand, here, Arjuna, your knowledge is obstructed because of impurities caused by ignorance, caused by sense of doership. Therefore, all the pāpapunya, the virtue and vice, virtuous vicious actions that are performed, all of this is obstructing your knowledge. And therefore, you are extremely limited knowledge. Whereas, there is no obstruction to my knowledge. Therefore, my knowledge is limitless. I am all-knowing. I am omniscient. That's one doubt that was there. Other doubt is that Lord, this Krishna, appears as a human being. Therefore, he may be like a jiva, like anybody else. In the second verse, Lord Krishna says, that is also not so. We'll continue that in, in another class. <coughs> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutauvande Bhagavanta punah punah Ishvaro gururatmedi Murti bheda vibhagine Vyoma vadvyapta dehaya Dakshina murtaye namaha Om shanti 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 Hari om Shri gurubhyo namaha Hari om